Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Fall camp will be starting this week. Finally, Gator Nation will get some on-field action for football. But, but before we do... I think we got to head off the field one more time, clear up some questions, clear clear a lot of things up that go that's going on off the field uh, right now. Helping me do that is David Chauncey. David, man, you, you reached out to me uh, about this. We know it's a hot button topic, but a couple couple off the field issues uh, and topics this summer heading into football season, conference expansion. NIL. Look, conference expansion kind of just came out of nowhere. We knew it was going to eventually happen. But it's come. It, it blows up right, right in all of our faces. Uh, but man, thanks, uh, thanks for uh, hopping on Gators Breakdown. I know a lot of people have a lot of questions about these two topics: the future of college football. Uh, you, you were gracious enough to reach out to me and you know trying to get something going here. So uh, you know, w- welcome to Gators Breakdown. Well, my pleasure to be on here, David. Enjoy the podcast and enjoy the the YouTube channel regularly. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So. First of all, we got to give a little bit of background info, info on you. It is Gators Breakdown, and you are a Gator. So uh, let everybody know uh, you're uh, you know, growing up, probably uh, a Gator fan, going to games, uh, going to college at UF, and then uh, uh, your profession as well. Yeah, no, I've been a, a Gator fan my entire life. So uh, ever since the, uh, the youngest of ages, watching Florida football, watching, of course, the fun and gun in the 1990s with Steve Spurrier, uh, all the way through, had the opportunity to go to University of Florida uh, during a great stretch from t- uh, 2006 to 2010. So saw a lot of championships, uh, saw a lot of uh, success on the field, uh, and then uh, ended up going to law school as well at the University of Florida. And so, um, you know, at this point, being a double Gator, I am, uh, uh, when it comes to my my fanhood, I'm a Gator through and through, uh, bleed orange and blue in that respect. But um, but my law firm, the type of work that we do also, we, we, uh, we do a lot of labor and employment law. So representing um, businesses and individuals across the state of Florida, as well as we have a, an interesting niche in, in education law, representing a lot of higher education institutions across the state as well. So, uh, so I put my, I put my uh, allegiances for sports aside for some of those things and, and 
try to, to guide clients in a lot of these issues that are even coming up that, that we'll begin to talk about here. Yeah, Dave is an education, labor, and employment lawyer for Alexander DeGantz and Barnett Legal right here in Jacksonville. So hometown, hometown here. And of course, UF College of Law graduate there. So Dave, man, yeah, we got plenty, plenty to discuss here. But quickly, man, we got we got to talk some football. How, how excited are you, man? Uh, the camp starting this week. Uh, you know, Gators won the East in 2020, 2021. More of a question mark heading into the season, man. But uh, what you looking forward to as the Gators hit the field Friday? Well, I mean, it's just good to have football back. It's good to uh, be able to turn on the TV and see that uh, that both in the NFL and at college, everybody's starting back, and we don't have much uh, longer to wait through uh, the hot summer to get to some football. And it always is hot uh, starting off those seasons in the swamp, but that's the way we like it. Um, you know, I, I think that we, we have a team that has a lot of potential. Uh, I know that Georgia seems to be the, the favorite upcoming uh, this year in the East. But, you, you know, we have a lot of talent. We have a lot returning on the, the defensive line. We have a defense that needs to improve, but but the pieces are there. And so hopefully the, the coaching can be there as well to, to make that happen. And then, you know, on the offensive side, we need to protect um, whoever is quarterback. But, you know, if you got, you got Emory Jones back there, um, you know, he's somebody that uh, could, as we'll talk about soon with uh, some of the name, image, and likeness stuff, I mean, he could have a huge year. He could blow up. He could be the type of guy that is able to to be special. Uh, he's got some weapons. I know we, of course, lost a lot, um, both with losing uh, Kadarius Tony and, of course, uh, Pitts and, and some of uh, the weapons that are around are Trayvon Grimes. But, um, you know, that they Dan Mullen, one thing you can say about him in the operation is that they know how to develop players and they know how to put guys in the right situations and they know how to – make sure that uh, that they're getting the most out of every single player. And so, um, you know, I'm looking forward to it. And, and it would not surprise me to see uh, us uh, have a good year, see, see UF end up in a situation where they're competing for for a championship. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I, I did pick Georgia to win the East, but like I said, I'm not going to be surprised if Florida wins the East. I don't think that gap, you know, talent-wise, the gap may be large. But once you factor in everything, Dan Mullen's coaching, Dan Mullen's developing, I think it shrinks that gap. Uh, just a bit. Florida, I think, is in prime prime position to to at least surprise uh, some people in 2021, not take well, that far, far drop off. Yeah, and I'll say this, the, the Swamp will be rocking there for that Alabama game. <laughs> uh, you know that. That'll be the truth. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. And, and a lot of this when when they come into the seasons. And, and I'll tell you this, Dave, I actually, when I was at the University of Florida, I did some sports writing for, uh, for the Alligator at nice. the time. And so, have have some background in, in sports media uh, in, in that way. Actually, used to cover uh, the track and field beat writer position for for the Alligator, uh, and, and did some other sports, and um, and so got the opportunity to even cover football a little bit back then. Um, so uh, so every year you're going to go into these college football seasons, and you're going to see the known quantities, especially at quarterback, being the teams that a lot of team that a lot of the um, the media are going to choose. And so this year you have JT Daniels, of course, coming in. And so, yeah, he's, he's a known quantity in some respect. While you have a lot of other uh, teams that don't have a known quantity coming back at the most important position on the field. So, you know, George is going to get that edge up front um, right now with, with what people are saying, of course, with a lot of the talent that, that they return. But, you know, don't, don't be surprised if, if we give them a real run for their money this year. Yeah, should be fun, fun either way. Dave, before we move on from football and get into uh, conference uh, alignment expansion, 
and uh, NIL. Just general thoughts on Dan Mullen overall. I know you said you, you, you like what he's been able to do uh, with the quarterback position, but since he was hired at Florida from 2018 to, to, to now, uh, maybe even the future, what's your thought on Dan Mullen? I think Dan's done a, done a good job. Um, you know, I, I think people forget very easily how bad we were watching offense uh, here at the University of Florida for uh, several years, going back to, to, of course, during the Muschamp days and then into the McIlwain era. And so, um, you know, the type of product that we saw last year, even if we wasn't up to standards on the defensive side of the ball um, and, and, and across college football, yeah, things were struggling on the defensive side of the ball. But uh, to see the type of offense that he put together uh, with Kyle Trask and, and, and being able to develop him and, and even develop you know, Kadarius Tony, Kadarius Tony the year before, um, it goes from being somebody that people were questioning whether he was even going to play, uh, <laughs> play football during uh, the COVID year to being a first round pick. And so uh, Kyle Pitts, of course, emerged as well. But I mean, that, that's that's coaching a lot of it as well and, and being able to mold uh, those players into uh, in, into the, the, the guys that can can be playmakers on the field. And so you know, I, I remember being in the swamp for. Uh, you know, uh, some games where we were we were struggling to put a field goal up on the board. We were struggling <laughs> to get in the end zone or even come close to the end zone. And some of the ugliest games that we've seen at Florida Field in a long time. Um, and so what Dan's done with the program is he, he's he's a steady hand on the offensive side of the ball. And he's somebody who has, uh, has gotten results and some of the best results that there is in college football. Are, are there places that he can um, – can get better, I'm sure. There's places that we all can get better in, in uh, where we're at, especially uh, you know, I know that there's constant talk about recruiting and in, in, uh, in that side of things. But um, but you know what? Um, you know, it's been fun in the swamp. Uh, it's been uh, it's been entertaining. Uh, and so I'm, I'm hoping that he can continue to grow and continue to take those steps, make those tough decisions. And, and we can get to a point where we're back to uh, consistently winning championships. Yeah, I, th- I think most of the thought is, you know, coming from 2018 to now, it is a look, Florida football is definitely a lot more fun with Dan Mullen on the sideline right now uh, okay. compared to what it was before. Maybe you know, now, maybe time to take that next step. But the, and you know, so close. You know, it, we we've tasted, you know, uh, right outside of the playoff, being in the top ten, so close that uh, you you see it right there. And I think a lot of the critique comes from so close, so close, so close. Now we just still have some questions on what the ceiling can be uh, going into year four. So, uh, you know, we'll see We'll see where it ends up. But I think for right now, Mullen's the, the, the right guy leading the charge. Uh, Florida football's fun again. And uh, maybe some changes along the way. Uh, you know, coaches have to learn and adapt along the way. And I think that's what we'll see uh, from Mullen moving forward. So, all right, Dave, let's get into the meat of the episode here. Look, um, Jeff Bishop from Gators Breakdown Plus um, – I, you know, for a lot of the emails I send out there, I always ask for um, uh, topics that they want to discuss. And this was perfect. Uh, you you had sent uh, the message before. I looked, man, I, I replied to Jeff. I was like, perfect timing because he asked a question. I hope you do a future podcast soon about this realignment business. In my opinion, the Power Five will morph into the 32, 48 teams, maybe two conferences. I see teams dropping football, going to lower divisions. I'll uh, while this does not affect the Gators, it affects the sport. Transfer portal, NIL, conference realignment, this will not be the college football of the past. And I replied with, I said, look, I got it lined up already. I'm going to bring on uh, Dave Johnson. We're going to discuss this. So it was perfect timing. 
There are a lot of questions out there. Uh, David, let's start with realignment. Uh, I think that's you know the, the hot-button topic right now. Like I said, going back to SEC media days. And look, Oklahoma, Texas, that came out SEC media day week. Already now has been announced as members of the SEC. Will not start till 2025. So a lot of questions going on with this are 2025 is the date. That's the one that's been thrown out there. Is there any chance this can be done before then? And look, it's a slippery slope. Uh, we have seen ESPN called out by the Big 12. Uh, the Big 12 is going to stand strong as long as possible here. Uh, now we've heard recent rumors of them and the Pac-12 maybe getting together. And look, this is all being driven by money, TV money specifically. So I'm going to ask you, here's the hot button topics, of course, uh, along with realignment. Date time when it can happen and this whole grant of rights for for tv and how that plays into the timeline uh and if it can be adjusted yeah so i mean the grant of rights are the biggest thing um that is in many ways going to hold up or and is driving a lot of uh, the decisions that are being made and so kind of what a grant of rights is even to to explain that is uh the schools have rights to the content that they're creating so they you know, in, in whatever type of situation that they are uh, engaging in, uh, the schools own a lot of the rights to the content that's being created. So um, and into the, that intellectual property in many ways. And so when they are signing a grant of rights, they're giving over the rights that they have to their content, to their intellectual property, to the television rights of, of being able to, to broadcast their games to a conference, to a group of, of individuals uh, and to a, a group of, of peer schools. And so um, at that point, the conference has then taken the, the rights to then market that and be able to, to market that to the de- different uh, television uh, potential partners that are out there. It's similar to if you were to write a book, Dave, and it, you are going to sign a contract with a publicist, with a, with a publisher, and be able to say, well, in in order for me to properly be able to um, to get the most out of this book, I'm going to sign over rights to the publisher. Publisher is going to make some money off of this as well, um, but they're going to be able to market uh, uh, your book better to to the general public. Um, and so that that's sort of how the grant of rights work, and it's a contract. It's a contract like any contract that any of us would sign and, and get into. Um, but contracts are also something that are uh, are going to be rock solid if you have good attorneys that are, are there. And so you're not going to have quite the opportunity just to get out of them whenever you want, uh, which is why I think a lot of people were surprised at the University of Texas and, and at the University of Oklahoma uh, taking action right now while their grant of rights were extended until 2025. Um, so could, could the grant of rights is there a way to get out of that? Like most contracts, there's always a way to get out of it. You just have to pay a certain amount of money to get out of it. Uh, and, and so whatever that is within that grant of rights contract that Texas and Oklahoma would have signed over to the Big 12 at that point, you know, that is a number I've seen somewhere in the $75 million range per school. Uh, that would be the number that it would take to, to get out. But what you see regularly is um, the relationship no longer makes sense. Uh, we saw this with Maryland and, and 
when they are moved to the Big Ten uh, after wanting to lead the ACC. Does the relationship no longer make sense? Uh, both parties want to move on, similar to to what you would see with with a lot of uh, partnership splits, uh, marriage splits, all the way down. Uh, and so as a result, you see them negotiate a buyout. And so they may not wait the full period of time because the Big 12 may want to move on. Big 12 may want to take the steps that they need to to reassure their television partners and, and try to make sure that they have uh, their house in order. And so um, they may say, well, let's negotiate something less. We're willing to take less to kind of move on, get things going. Uh, and so that's what that's what you see. And so is there a chance that um, that that could happen? Yeah, there, there definitely is a chance. The University of Texas is um, has been consistently one of the if not the top earning uh, program in college sports. So they, they have the, the money and a lot of the the uh, connections to make something like that happen. Uh, Oklahoma as well as one of the top earners. And so they could certainly take take those steps uh, to get out early. They're going to say all the right things up front, at least, uh, mm-hmm. to make sure that that they're uh, they're saying the right things, that they're going to abide by the contract that they signed. But they could certainly uh, make take those steps or they could pay the buyout. That's also something that, that could happen. Um, so uh, that's the ways that you'll see things uh, progress quicker. Um, and and we'll, we'll see if, if they do want to take those steps to get into the SEC uh, sooner rather than later. But I would expect that there'd be some sort of middle of the road type of discussion where, well, they'll have some sort of um, deal that comes about where they're not there till 2025, but they may not be there uh, in fall 2022 either. Dave, so why would a school like Texas and Oklahoma to an extent, why would they even agree to uh, a grant of rights? Like, you would think they'd be able to handle that end of it, you know, and not be hamstrung by the Big 12. Because, you know, Texas, I mean, they, that is, as you said, that is a brand. They could pretty much, I mean, look, they have their own network. The only school right. out there that has their own network. So, they, you know, they can pretty much call the shots for the Big 12. And in a way, that's kind of what's happening here. So why would a school like Texas even agree to a grant of rights in the first place? So the, the grant of rights, uh, and there's different tiers of the grant of rights. So um, the difference between what Texas is getting into at the SEC currently and what they've done at the, the Big 12 is they actually controlled that Longhorn network, right? They controlled that tier of rights and, and most of the the games that were not being picked up by Fox or not being picked up by ESPN they controlled those rights to those games. And so um, so why would they do that? Um, it's really to pool uh, the, the resources, say, for the University of Texas. And there was discussion of the University of Texas thinking about going independent for many yeah. years. And that's what independent schools did um, previous to uh, when we've seen this big move of, uh, a, you know, of independent schools wanting to join conferences. It's because you can sell yourself and say, well, here's what uh, here's what the University of Texas, Oklahoma together are going to be able to provide with their uh, with their other partners in the Big 12. Here are the games that you'll be able to choose from. And so you know, in, in a time where where, uh, you know, the University of Texas may not be as good on the field, um, being able to pull their resources, be able to grant that rights over to the conference. The conference say, you're going to get the best game, Fox, or you're going to get the best game, um, ABC, ESPN. Uh, there's potentially more money. And it's really what it comes down to. It's it's dollars and cents. That's what it comes down to it in those situations. But there are programs. I mean, Notre Dame, of course, 
shows that they can do it uh, year in and year out and keep NBC uh, as, as, a, as a broadcast partner. Uh, Texas is a, is a potential brand that could have done something like that. Uh, and there are probably a handful of other brands that could do that as well, but it's just a lot more difficult. Um, so that's why you don't see it as much with the independent um, uh, schools. And, and if you remember back 30, 35 years ago, there were a lot of independent football schools right, yeah. that were signing contracts with, um, with TV partners. And, and all of this stems from, uh, and from, from a Supreme Court case. So all of this stems from the University of Oklahoma and the University of Georgia filing a lawsuit against the NCAA, which used to control all of the grant of rights for all of their schools. And that was up until the mid 80s. And then when ESPN and a lot of the, the basically the change of, of cable and how cable was emerging in college football, the University of Oklahoma said, we don't want the NCAA to control our television rights. And so they filed a lawsuit, which Georgia ended up filing a lawsuit as well, saying, you know, we want to control our own rights. And so when that case, of course, the, when that uh, uh, case hit in the mid 80s, that's what set off the first set of realignment that we saw in, in around 1990, in the late 80s, early 90s, um, where you saw, you know, the Southwest Conference end up falling apart, the creation of, of the, the Big 12. Um, but also seeing teams added like Arkansas and South Carolina to the SEC, um, you know, seeing Florida State, uh, Miami, different uh, independent schools that had played independent football, even though they had been members of conferences for other reasons, join conferences like the ACC in, in the Big East. And so um, controlling those rights and then being able to be able to market those rights really set off this whole thing from the beginning. Uh, and, and so – we're just entering into another step of that, um, and we've seen it on several realignments. The one that we had ten years ago, um, when when Texas had threatened to leave to go to the PAC, yep. uh, ten at that time, uh, and and so the the idea is whatever makes the most dollars and cents they're going to do. And Texas has looked at what they're doing, uh, whether it is uh, the idea of being able to schedule teams, whether it's the idea of the playoff that's coming, the potential expansion of the playoff that's coming up. Um, and, and what makes the most sense for, for their program moving forward as an entire school. And they see the stability of the SEC as being one that makes sense in comparison to, um, to what they have with the Big 12 or what they could do as an independent and being able to sh give their grant of rights for all that television to the SEC to then combine with the, with the Floridas and the Georgias and the Alabamas to then sell that for even more than they could get if they were just alone. Dave, so that kind of does bleed into, okay, what does it mean for Florida? You know, Texas, Oklahoma come into the SEC. Of course, it means a harder schedule when you do play those teams. Uh, you mentioned the dollars and cents side of it. You know, in, in the end, adding two more teams off the field, on the field, this will have an effect on Florida. Of course. I mean, it'll it'll have an effect on, on each and every one of the SEC schools. But, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, we saw that the vote from from the – SEC came back as a 14 nothing vote and, and that uh, Texas A&M sort of mm -hmm. was dragged potentially into voting for that as well. But um, I think for, for the University of Florida, long term, it means stability. It means um, the ability to to have a, a program that's in the premier league uh, of college football. Uh, it, it means, uh, of course, more television revenues that could be coming about uh, as well. 
Um, it means more uh, filled stands. Uh, I think that uh, something that uh, I've heard from, from the University of Texas is that uh, they had a big concern about their schedule. Uh, and, and the Big 12 bringing in the Kansas States and the Iowa States, even though they've done well in football in, in the last couple of years, uh, and some of uh, those programs don't bring people into the stadium. Uh, and so a, a good thing for Florida and, and for a lot of the schools in the SEC will be the ability to have more marquee games, uh, more marquee games that uh, attract people to, to wanting to go to games and go to, 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 the, to the stadium and actually be there in person for the environment and all the pageantry and tradition that comes with uh, college football. And so all those things, as well as the academic side of things. And, and you have to remember that all these college presidents are also thinking uh, a lot about the academics and about um, about their peer institutions. And, and the University of Texas is a highly regarded uh, university, uh, just as the University of Florida is. I mean, the, uh, if you look at things like uh, um, the the AAU, which is an elite group of universities that that are, are associated with each other for research purposes. Um, previously in the SEC, there had been um, the uh, Vanderbilt, University of Florida, uh, Texas A&M, um, Missouri, and, and University of Texas will be the next member. Uh, they'll they'll so that is definitely a, a part of it, and why that that impacted the decision making of probably a lot of the, the university of presidents, but overall it just creates more stability for, for the sec and being a, a potential leader uh, moving forward. All right. So of course, domino effect here, status of other conferences have to come into play. What are those conferences and schools uh, thinking, doing right now? Uh, earlier this week, FSU and Clemson was reported to have interest in joining the sec. I, I, I questioned the a source on that one, but it was out there. Um, you know, the OU Texas announcement, first of all, where it happened at SEC Media Days, that was no, not, not by accident. <laughs> that, that come out on purpose so it would get in front of all the eyeballs uh, that it possibly could. Uh, and then, you know, set off dominoes or it had to set off dominoes in other conferences and them trying to figure out their future. As I mentioned earlier, the Big 12 and Pac-12 has been reported. They're going to discuss uh, maybe some kind of merger or scheduling scheduling alliance where they could boost their brands, boost their conferences. But we've also heard the same for the Big 10 and the Pac-12. So now you, you, you're you going to have a lot of infighting among these conferences of trying to figure out who to poach, who to get, who to schedule. Uh, and you know this, my I think my question now is you know what is the timeline in all this? Because now, if the Big Twelve wants to do anything or can do anything, what does that mean for the grant of rights contract in twenty twenty five? And you know if, my thing is if they go ahead and make a decision, as you kind of said, but if they make a decision with the Big Ten or the the Pac twelve, I think that would have to speed up the timeline as well. Yeah, I, I mean. Holding their conference together is, is going to be difficult. And a big part, something I didn't mention with those grant of rights, is typically um, there is a clause for the from the television um, side of things that if they lose a certain amount of teams, yeah, uh, that that the grant of rights contract is is then voidable. Um, so, um, and it's been reported that once four programs were to leave the Big Twelve, that then the, the, the agreement is, is no longer valid. And then the television partner can step back and say, we're not paying this type of money uh, for, for this conference. Cause this wasn't the conference that we agreed um, to at, at that point. The day before um, you get further on that thought, if I was ESPN or Fox, I'd be like, all right, if Oklahoma and Texas leave, all right, it, it didn't even have to be four teams. If those two leave, we're done. Right. And, and, and so that's why even a lot of 
those within the industry were thinking that there could be some movement as these grant of rights ended. And one of the, the because the Pac-12 as well, their grant of rights is ending here in 2024. The Big Ten's grant of rights is ending in 2023 with Fox. Uh, and so there was a lot of discussion about what was going to happen and whether there would be moves that were, were made. I, I just think that people weren't expecting it to come this quickly right. uh, from Texas and Oklahoma, although those were always the two schools that had the most sway uh, in being able to sort of set this domino effect uh, into motion. And so you know, what we're, we're looking at is is conferences are, are going to have to make decisions uh, on what makes the most uh, uh, sense for them moving forward uh, and, and what will actually add to their conference. And what we saw 10 years ago was this uh, cable network craze. And so we saw the creation of the SEC network. We've seen the creation of the Big Ten network uh, and wanting to add eyeballs to those um, to those networks. And so that was kind of the driving force of what was occurring um, back in 2010, 2011, 2012. And the, the additions of, say, for the SEC was Missouri and, and Texas A&M. But moving forward, cable has, has struggled, as is well uh, well known by, by those uh, even who don't follow this very closely. Uh, and so you're seeing a big change in, in the way that, that these uh, college administrators are making decisions, especially at this high of a level, um, as it's not about those television networks quite as much anymore. Uh, it's really about creating the brands that are going to match up that that a television executive who is going to be broadcasting a game live is going to be able to sell their advertisements during that game for as much money as possible. So the, the cable networks, even though the SEC was the most successful, the, the SEC network is the most successful cable network launching in the history of, of, uh, of cable um, because of the passion of SEC fans. Uh, you haven't seen that necessarily with the Pac-12. Uh, you haven't seen that with the ACC. Um, you know, the Big Ten as well has had a very successful uh, network. Um, but the, the the amount that that a lot of these cable providers are willing to pay to add uh, these networks is not quite where it was a few years ago and where people thought it could go, you know, with, the, with a lot of the other um, market forces that are going on. So, you know, they're thinking about what brands can we add to our conference, both academically, but specifically for football, right? Uh, football is the driving force of all this. Academics are a driving force of this. The rest of the sports are not driving forces of this. Uh, and what, what brands could we potentially add to make sure that we are uh, putting ourselves in the best position to negotiate with ESPN, ABC, with Fox, with CBS, with NBC to get the most money uh, for all of our members. Dave, one last thought uh, for for uh, expansion realignment uh, before we go into the NIL. Of course, money is the driving force here, but it's it's not the only factor in my mind or how I see it. You know, is this future realignment a indication of confidence in the NCAA? Uh, we we've seen that wane in the last few years. And now, I mean, a lot of people are really asking the serious question. Does the SEC, does these big schools out there really need the NCAA? 
And I think the NCAA or SEC is kind of tired of dealing with the NCAA as far as kind of how they hamstring these big-time programs and, and, and as far as major college football goes. So who knows the, the, the future of the college football playoff right now? That's in play here as well, uh, I think. But I think these, these big-time programs are just kind of sick of the NCAA in their ways. And, look, we've seen the NCAA come out and say, look, we do need to change. Things need to change. Uh, but – I mean, right now with these big moves here in that in Texas and Oklahoma, you can see where you know it, it is a conference that maybe can just pull away from the NCAA and handle things themselves. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's a big piece of this is the NCAA has seen its influence wane over the last forty years uh, considerably, and so you're in a situation where uh, it was just this past week, I believe, that Mark Emmert uh, announced that there would be some constitutional convention of of the NCAA. And they've been sitting on, on their hands in many respects because um, they don't know what influence they have. Um, and they certainly don't have the influence that they once did. You know, a big part of this is that the, the amount of money being made by these large programs um, is, in many ways is beginning to, to create uh, their influence in a way that, that has, has never been for a lot of these individual programs and these conferences. And once these conferences, as we talked about with with the television side of things, once these conferences own the rights to their to their uh, television deals and not the NCAA, it, it put a lot of the power into the conferences themselves. And so the conferences then are the ones that are signing these massive deals. Um, and and th- there is nothing like college sports in um, in American sports, right? I mean, it, it is it is about as organic of a creation as as has come about and so you know, all these programs looking to jockey and figure out you know what uh makes the most uh, uh sense what was most rational for them to, to take steps you know, those things have escalated to a point now as the money got bigger um as i mean college uh, coaching salaries uh, i saw recently that uh it was about 20 states the 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 uh, number one employee, uh, um, money-wise for for salary purposes, is is a college football coach, um, and so you've seen the the escalation of all this occur. And so the NCAA is in a situation where you have these big programs that are making a lot of money, um, that are associated with one another, big schools that want to take steps, that wanted to do things, um, say with with educational stipends, um, that other members of the NCAA did not want to do because they're small schools. And what people have to realize a big part of this is the NCAA represents all these schools. Uh So division one, division two, division three, and your local school, uh, private school in, in in your city that, uh, that, uh, you know, has a small baseball stadium, a small uh, basketball arena that, that they care about their sports, but they don't have the type of money that's flowing in that you would see, of course, in the SEC or, or the Big Ten. And so their interests are very different, and they're not making a ton of money. In fact, they're potentially losing money off of their sports programs, just like the, the big programs are, are losing money off of a lot of their non-revenue sports, and their non-revenue sports are pretty much everything outside of football, basketball, and in some schools have you know a baseball program that makes them some money or a gymnastics program that might make them some money. But but the interests are very different, and so the NCAA is in a in a in a uh, at a point where it's hard for them to manage all of these you know, schools with different interests, all these conferences with different interests. 
But then also they've been dealing with court case after court case that's been sort of chipping away at their influence. Uh, and we saw the, the recent NCAA Alston case. And, and what you saw there was that the small schools did not want they, – they had voted on having a stipend, uh, an educational benefit that was capped at a certain amount of money that was a little bit over $5,000. And what you see from that is that the bigger schools wanted more money to be able to be sent to their students. We've all seen you know, the, the stories about college athletes who, who were poor, who did not have the, the ability to uh, um, feed themselves outside of going to, to the dining hall and you know, saw their jerseys being sold, uh, and, and which will take us into the NIL stuff. But, but we've, we've all heard those stories. Uh, and so a lot of the big schools said, well, let's let's provide more educational benefit. Let's provide, as, as, as we call kind of call them at this point, our stipends. Um, but the smaller schools couldn't afford that. They didn't want to afford that. So that's why you've seen um, this change in um, a lot of the discussion revolving around whether the NCAA even makes sense um, specifically for football purposes. And so, you know, the NCAA is about – in, in about as difficult a position right now as, as they've ever been. And, and that decision, that Alston case, you know, we could see large stipends down the line and, and it, it's not decided. I mean, there is a lot of gray area to what's going on, but that may have also been an influence for the university of Texas and Oklahoma uh, making decisions that they wanted to be with more peer institutions that were making more money that, that potentially down the line, if they want to, provide a $30,000 stipend um, to all their, their uh, student athletes that they can, and they don't have some schools that are saying, well, that's too much money. We don't want to pay that. Uh, so those are all, all aspects to this thing as we sort of move forward. And we see, you know, what's going on. Cause at the same time, they want to provide these educational stipends, but they do not want these student athletes to be considered employees. And there we go. That kind of goes to the next point. Employee, not employee at the moment. They're not, even with NIL out there, name, image, and likeness. So, Dave, got to ask you first, uh, there's been a lot of questions, a lot of confusion a lot, a lot with NIL, even a month into it and, and how it's going about. So, first, I'll get, I will have to ask you, uh, how does it work? Because, look, from, from, from my vantage point, it's very messy, and that's mostly due to the NCAA not taking it serious enough until it was too little, too late. Um not set rules from state to state, no blanket rules as far as NIL goes. Uh, it's basically the wild, wild west out there. And look, I have no issue. I've said it before. No, no issue with players making money off their name, image, and likeness. But I don't like like the lack of clarity in it all. Where and look, and that's not that's not the player's fault that they're here. So there's just a lack of clarity. Month into it now, still so many questions. So you know, first explain. You know, how does it work? Um, what is it? for the state of Florida and their role in it and how it affects the Gators. Right. So the name image likeness piece is one that we all control typically. Um, <laughs> so it, uh, Dave, you control your name image likeness, your right to publicity, they would call it. Uh, and that's something that has been uh, through the generations has been part of uh, common law and a lot of states that have made those decisions to create uh, statutes that, that regulate name, image, likeness, right to publicity issues. Um, and so for years, though, the, the NCAA controlled the, the name, image, likeness um, situation in a way where they basically acted like it didn't exist. Um, and so they, they didn't allow student athletes to uh, do the same things that other students may be able to do. 
Um, you know, if, if, if a student became famous for, for some reason, they can go advertise, they can go um, uh, do, do a spot with somebody or, or even host an event that, uh, a, that people have to pay a ticket price to get into. Um, the NCAA banned all those different things. And, and you, know, you, you, you saw it really begin to change with um, there was a there was a court case a few years ago the the O'Bannon case and that was over the name image likeness uh, policies of, of the NCAA and so you know we hurt. of course all that saw that would hurt for us video game fans <laughs> and yeah so that that one did hurt because that that video game um, fans because all of us who enjoyed playing NCAA football we lost the ability to mm-hmm. to play NCAA football because uh, they were creating little mini um, Emory Jones's little mini, uh, mini uh, Tim Tebow's out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, t- Tim Tebow's right They're They're creating these, these, these images of these athletes while not telling us exactly who the athletes were. Right. You didn't, they didn't put names on them. They didn't put, um, they didn't, they, they just gave you a number, but you knew who they were. Right. Um, there yeah, was no, a famous case. The quarterback years ago. was number 15. He was left-handed. He was six, <laughs> you know, six, five, six, six. And uh, the, the size of Tim Tebow, everything Tim Tebow's biography would have said, that's what he was in NCAA without the name. Exactly. And, and the year Tim Tebow graduated and was able to sign a, a, a an endorsement deal with yeah. NCAA uh, with, with EA sports. Then he was on the front cover of NCAA the next year after he was done with his eligibility. So you know, it was it was an it was an interesting system that they had they had put into place. Um, the O'Bannon case basically not only ended the NCAA's ability to to uh, negotiate with EA Sports for all these these people who were uh, student athletes who are the, taking their 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 image and, and putting it on there, and where that all related back to is a, a famous case of uh, of involving Wheel of Fortune years ago in the early '90s, in which there was a video game. Um, that Vanna White was her uh, image was replicated in that game, um, and the the court said no, no, that is her image. You have to pay her for that image, uh, and so that's what happened with the NCAA with with NCAA football. But also, um, you know, for years, right when when I was a kid, I was I, I bought a, a a number seven jersey while Danny Werfel was popular, or bought a mm-hmm. uh, you could buy your number fifteen jersey while while. Tim Tebow was doing his thing uh, on the field at, at Florida Field, or uh, you know, or or Rex Grossman, um, and, and and but they weren't getting any money off of that, right? They weren't um, able to be profitable off that. The actual individual athletes, but the university wouldn't put their name on it. They wouldn't do anything like that because those they were complying with the NCAA rules. But they were still everybody wanted a, a number seven jersey in 1996, or in 2001 wanted their number eight jersey, or in uh, 2008 wanted their number 15 jersey, and and so the the schools were able to make money off of it, but but not the the athletes. And so what we saw was uh, really lawmakers take the next step and uh, pass these laws, both in in the state of Florida uh, as well as uh, throughout now. I think it's it's nearly 25 states that have created these these NIL laws, uh, these name, image, likeness, right to publicity that the NCAA is not allowed to create these rules and stop them from being able to sign endorsement deals. But kind of what you mentioned is right. I mean, it is complete and utter uh, anarchy when it comes to uh, what, what the uh, regulatory nature of all of this is, because each state's the one 
uh, that's making decisions at this point, or no one's making decisions at this point. And, and the NCAA, um, in in trying potentially not to add to their woes when it came to this recent Alston case, just didn't even – they had a working group that went through all the process, decided on all the rules that should be put into place – and the NCAA decided to scrap all that and to to say that well we'll we'll, we'll take our chances and hopefully the, this uh, decision by the Supreme Court won't be that bad, um, but we don't want to give them any more ammo to say that that uh, you know we are basically um, uh, violating antitrust laws, uh, and and that's what it all comes back to is is there are these antitrust laws, and so that ca- court case actually had nothing to do with NIL itself, had nothing to do with name image likeness. Although uh, Justice Kavanaugh did mention uh, the potential for for a lawsuit uh, related to name image likeness down the road, but it had to do with with the, the educational stipends, like we were talking about. But one way or another, it shows that the the there is a lack of leadership from the NCAA on that on that side. But now you have different laws in different states, and so the state of Florida's law is different than the state of Georgia's law. The state of Georgia's law is different than the state of Alabama's law. Uh, most of the SEC states have laws at this point, with I think with the exception of Louisiana and Missouri. Uh, and, and so each of those states are going to govern things a little bit differently, and they do govern things a little bit differently. Um, and that's important to understand uh, when when some schools are making some decisions and other schools are making other decisions, is that there's nobody really telling them what to do. And that's why you saw Greg Sankey uh, make a, a statement during a uh, during SEC media days, asking, uh, in in some ways, pleading with Congress to uh, make decisions and to have some sort of law on a on a nationwide scale that would preempt all these state laws, because they don't they don't know what to do, they, and and they're kind of operating in the blind. And some schools are are going to be more aggressive than other schools, um, and and that's unfortunate because it does put this level of sort of a wild, wild west mentality to all of this. But in the other ways, you're going to see the opportunity for student athletes to be able to make money um, and, and use their name, image, likeness, whether that's with their social media accounts or whether Emory Jones takes off and has a huge year and is, is you know, on the front cover of, of, uh, of, of uh, Sports Illustrated or on the front cover of ESPN.com. And he can be able to say, well, that's my image now. And so – and it's my likeness in these in, in my publicity. And so, you know, I'm going to go sign a deal with uh, with some uh, company or, or organization that's going to allow for, for me to make some money off of all this publicity I'm getting due to uh, my good play on the field. So, you know, it, 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 it and that could help people stay in, in school longer. That could help people you know, make decisions where they're not necessarily going to go to, to, to the NFL right off the bat because they're actually making money. Of course, put food on the, the table for, for their for their parents if they're in a situation like that. So there's a lot of benefits to it. But but at this point, there is really zero leadership on a national scale uh, with this NIL situation. So, you know, how does it help Florida uh, here? And, you know, I'm still kind of waiting for that announcement of this big, you know, this – if you look around the country, there's still yet to be this big company, this big corporation that's really, like, you know, like a Gatorade or a Pepsi or a Coca-Cola or you know, somebody, somebody like that who has come out and said they're going to be a part of NIL. I'm still waiting on that. You know, is that something potentially uh, for, for, for Florida here? And you brought up something, too. 
how does this affect like ESPN and CBS and all these networks? You know, they use images, they use um, you know, video of these players and, and, and all that can, uh, and also media, like local media, like, like myself, when we cover games and all that stuff, can we see players just say, Hey, ESPN using my image. Can they go after ESPN? Can they refuse to do interviews after games now because they're not being paid by us to, to, to talk after games? Like I, I there's so much, you know, murkiness to it all of, you know, what is their obligation still to the university as far as their name, image, and likeness goes and to themselves? Right. And they do still have an obligation to the university because they are receiving educational benefits um, from the university. Um, and, and so that, and they are still signing away a certain amount of that to the university and having to comply with university standards you know, all the way set up to, to the Board of Governors, say, in the state of Florida. And so they're, they're, they're signing away some of their freedom by playing college football. But what this law, especially in the state of Florida, says is that the universities can't restrict them from signing endorsement deals, from make, you know, signing contracts with, with, a, with a, an event organizer, say, a, a football camp or something like that, in which um, I, 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 uh, somebody with a name that wanted to use it, like, in the past of Tim Tebow or right now, maybe an Emory Jones or somebody like that could say, or even think about it for, um, for volleyball teams or for, um, for soccer teams. I mean, they may really want to have the star volleyball player in Gainesville uh, be able to um, host a camp and, and be able to, to train them uh, using that. And so, um, and so they can make money off those things. Sports, of course, with Instagram and, and, and those things have completely changed, even in the last 10, 15 years of some people who have massive followers. You think about um, a guy like a, a Will Greer years ago with, with, with UF. Yeah. Um, you know, his, his brother was a big time YouTube star, uh, Instagram star, uh, Vine, I think, when that was a thing. And, you know, he had a lot of followers. He could have used that to, to endorse things and, and do that. But but the, the law really restricts the university from being able to stop their student athletes from signing those deals as as is what the NCAA still the rules state they should do. Um, and the NCAA has pretty much abdicated at this point. Um, but but it, it is interesting to say something with recruiting. Right. The, the state of Florida's law specifically states that um, the universities that there can't be a contract. A student athlete can't sign a contract that is contingent upon them going to a university to attend a university. So they, they can't sign a contract that says, you know, I'm going to do this, uh, get sign this deal for this car company. Um, and as a result, uh, part of that deal is that I go to the university of Florida or to Florida state or to the university of Miami. That's actually prohibited. There's also parts of it, which is why I think that um, there were some questions about what happened with, with the University of Miami with that deal that they announced. Yeah. And I don't know how that, that came about or what, what happened to, to, to end up with the, uh, that gym that then ended up sponsoring anybody. But there, there's language in there that, that um, creates a question of whether the university can actually cause um, an NIL deal to, to occur. Um, and so – there's a lot of questions about the law itself, and it's probably why uh, Dan Mullen 
sort of question whether it was legal that the University of Miami had done that because it's it's there's a lot of gray areas um, in that in in that respect. But but that but that part is not in say the state of Georgia's law, um, and so different laws, different states have decided in state of Georgia's law, they have um, some sort of um, um, opportunity for. Uh, student athletes to share in 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 a, um, in, a, in, a, in a in an agreement with with the school potentially, and so there there's when you said that it, we're looking at a, a situation that is is chaotic at best. I mean, that's really where we stand right now is a very chaotic situation in which there's there's a lot that we don't know um, that's going to have to be figured out. But I'll say this on the the enforcement side there's there's not much as well that's discussed i mean there's there's discussion in in the statute about um the um, board of governors regulating some of these things but um you know there's nothing prohibiting the conferences from regulating it there's nothing prohibiting um you know other uh, entities from from regulating it to a certain point um if they were to to make those decisions but um but there's very little enforcement. You know, there's not sometimes in statutes, right? You'll see uh, this is illegal, and as a result of this being illegal, uh, if you're if you violate this law, um, say if you were to violate that law that that talks about um, um, you know uh, connecting attendance to one of these NIL deals, um, that there be a, that it'd be a misdemeanor or there'd be a fine. But we don't see that in this this legislation. So. There's a question of, of what is even enforceable or what, what that looks like, other than the universities themselves specifically being prohibited from, from entering into anything that would stop student athletes from being able to make money and the Board of Governors uh, regulating them um, to that effect. Have you got time for one more? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, yeah, Title IX uh, is going to be a – if something very important to go along with this and, and the balance of, uh, of that, but also the, the employment side of it and employees, not employees uh, and issues that come with payments uh, in, in some form or fashion. So how slippery is the slope? How thin is the line when you're looking at NIL? Because look, the, right now, as you said, the, the, the universities are separate from this. The money is not coming from the universities. It's coming from, you know, mostly businesses out there that are you know, sponsoring these, these uh, student athletes out there. So how does title nine work into this and how does employment slash job uh, come into this and how slippery of a slope it can be? Right. Uh, you know, that, that's something that the NCAA and colleges universities have been trying to make sure is not, um, does not happen for, for many years. Um, and we saw some, some movement uh, a few years ago with the, National Labor Relations Board um, on a lower end with Northwestern student athletes trying to say that 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 there was enough control over the athletes that that it was an employment situation and as an employment attorney right um, we were constantly talking about how much control that an, an employer would have over uh, over its employees, which would make a de determination if they were signing an independent contractor agreement, you can't have as much control as you would if you have, have an employee, right? So um, these are these are kind of fundamental issues that the NCAA wa has wanted to avoid and that these the schools, of course, want to avoid because there's so much that goes into, um, 
employment and, and that, that is attached to that at that point. Uh, and pro and con for student athletes. Um, you know, I mean, the more business-like it becomes, uh, the more of a, of a professional arrangement that it becomes, you know, a lot of the, the situations that we see with uh, kids being run out of schools, would that become more of a, a predominant thing? If you're just an at-will employee, you know, could you just be terminated at that point if you're not producing um, rather than getting your four-year scholarship? Um, so, you know, these are all considerations um, that have, have to kind of come up. But, but I mean, it, it, at, the, at the same time, um, you know, the idea that they're all employees um, is, is one that uh, could, could lead to, to a really damaging effect on, um, on a lot of the non-revenue sports as well. And so I, I don't see that happening anytime soon, but the more money that gets uh, put into to a lot of uh, these arrangements, as you see these educational stipends begin to rise, right? And if they end up being 30, 40, $50,000 um, and, and you're getting that as, as, as a, as a benefit, you know, the, the more that, that you may begin to see um, some student athletes try to push back on that or, or attempt to retest those situations. But at this point, the courts have, have held that they, they're not employees. Um, and so that, that's, that's been a, a, a thing that at least has provided some stability uh, on that point. But, but yeah, I mean, if, if you pay a, a $30,000 educational stipend to um, your football players, the question is, do you have to pay that $30,000 educational stipend uh, to a lot of your non-revenue sports? And is, as it kicks in with, with, um, with Title IX at that point, then the question is whether that's legal if you're not providing that uh, educational stipend to uh, a lot of your um, women's sports programs at that point, and whether then that's unequal. Um, those are issues that will probably have to be dealt with in the courts because football is bringing in nearly all the money. Um, and so at this point, you're seeing football probably bring in 80, 90 percent of the revenues in some places, basketball bringing in some revenue. And that, that you know, kicks us back to, to these, these grant of rights of, of television and, and all that, what that creates where you're not seeing that, you know, they're not granting rights to, um, to uh, your, 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 some of your, your swimming and diving teams at this point, even though the University of Florida has a great swimming team, right? We've, we've right. seen some of the great um, athletes that have come from that, but there's not the demand television wise to, to see that at this point. Um, so, I mean, hopefully with, with, what, what you'll see is the NIL aspect of that begin to, to uh, create uh, opportunities for some of these athletes. You know, we, you know if, if Caleb Dressel was still at the University of Florida or we saw Bobby Fink do really well winning those two gold medals, they'd be able to, hey, I, I have now have some publicity. Let me try to go get an endorsement deal and make some money and, and have that opportunity. But you know, it, it, that, these are all the things that are that are playing into to the decisions that all these conferences are making, um, and, and, and you know, taking those next steps. And it's also a reason, that, and I'll, I'll also pull this back to we were talking about, you know, rumors of conferences and, and the conferences wanting to you know sign deals or, or um, specifically something like FSU or, or Clemson leaving the ACC, and uh, they they signed a grant of rights deal through uh, 2036. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, from what the reports say in the contract, and again, all this is based on these contracts, is a uh, is a situation where 
they've given all their rights to all their to all of their sports revenues um, to the ACC to hold. Um, and so they would potentially be talking about losing hundreds of millions of dollars mm. if uh, if they were to uh, try to leave for a different conference at this point, depending upon what the out clauses say in that contract or or how if, if a bunch of teams leave, whether that the grant of rights ends, things like that. You, know, you could see that potentially being, um, you know, something that we could could get them out of it. But, but I mean, you're you're talking about a big risk on their behalf if they were to try to entertain something like that. Um, and, and they signed that away for a long time for stability, so the conference uh, would not fall apart after the uh, after Maryland left the ACC. Um, so, you know, they will not make as much money long term here in the next 15 years as will the SEC and the Big Ten and a lot of the conference, maybe the, the Pac-12, depending upon how things happen. Or if the Big Ten were to go raid the Pac-12 and go get a few of their members, you know, that's a situation where, it, where you know, the Big Ten may get even bigger piece of, of, uh, of, t- of uh, television revenues. But the ACC seems pretty stuck right now, I'll say that. Um, and, and so you have a lot of these things playing into it, though, both on the NIL as well as conference re- realignment. And we're heading into to a phase of, of college sports that um, that is unchartered, uh, to, to say the least. And so um, folks like me, you know, we're going to be trying to figure out how to how to, to manage that for a lot of clients. But then also the institutions themselves making business decisions on, on how that most makes sense for them and, 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 and how the, as well they can use NIL to um, to to help them. Uh, you know, I mean, if if and. and one of the questions you asked is how it could benefit, say, a, a University of Florida NIL. Well, you know, if you if you got a kid from Jacksonville, right, who's who's a highly touted athlete from Jacksonville, he may think, you know, if I go to a school like uh, an Ohio State, um, you know, those in Jacksonville, some of the the big time donors, some big time folks who are um, who well, control businesses, yeah, you know, they don't have as much of a vested interest in you doing as well at at, uh, at Ohio State or doing as well at USC. You'd have to hit it pretty big for them, maybe to come back. You know, maybe a Derrick Henry type Heisman type campaign, right. right? That he can come back and has that type of uh, has that type of publicity notoriety to to get him a, a deal in in Jacksonville. Um, but you know, if 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 you're, you know, um, you know, we've seen it with Miles Brennan. He has a, a couple car deals, even though he just hurt his arm. And, and you have a lot of those things coming into play of, of the risk that a lot of these companies are taking yeah. in signing these deals. And maybe why some of the bigger companies have not gotten involved yet, um, because there is a lot of risk to college athletes. But, but for uh, University of Florida with the name brand that the university has and the alumni network that the University of Florida has, if you're a kid from Jacksonville, if you're a kid from Lakeland, if you're a kid from Fort Myers, if you're a kid um, from Seminole County or from Pasco County, right? There's a lot of Gator fans that are in a lot of these big metro areas in Tampa, Orlando, um, even down in, into into West Palm Beach and Miami. Um, and you may have more opportunity without having to necessarily perform the same level on the field to be sort of a hometown hero and be able to to um, get some of these deals easier. Than it would be uh, if you were going out of state or or going to um, you know an Ohio State or going to a Michigan or going to a Notre Dame uh, or some of these schools where where they just don't have the same vested interest and there's not as many folks that are rooting for you on a day to day basis in your community and so 
that may be a big opportunity for to keep some kids in state. And I know that that's you've been an issue with recruiting is uh, keeping kids uh, in state from all the Florida schools. So there may be an opportunity for Florida schools to use that and say, hey, be a big deal uh, at the University of Florida. And likely you'll have a, an opportunity to, to make a lot more money in, in a, one of these large metro areas uh, like a Jacksonville, Orlando, Tampa that you wouldn't have otherwise. And, and to be honest, there aren't that many large metro areas in, in a place like uh, Alabama or, yeah. uh, or Louisiana in comparison to the state of Florida. Right. So, I mean, the state of Florida uh, as as currently the, the third largest state in the country, um, you got a lot of large areas um, with large media markets that don't exist in, in a lot of other states. And so that could be an advantage, but we're going to have to, to, to kind of um, figure it out as we go. And you're, and you're going to see a lot of uncertainty kind of moving forward, unless there is something from Congress that, that really creates a, a regulatory system across the board for all of these schools. And, and you see there's, there's actually, there's, there's been several bills that have been filed uh, and discussed. One of them is from uh, Marco Rubio here in the state of Florida, um, I know that um, uh, Representative Gonzalez in uh, in Ohio has also had a bill that he's filed that has gotten some traction. He's actually a former um, a former student athlete at, at Ohio State um, playing football, uh, and so uh, you you see the potential that that there could be something coming from from Congress. But as as we well know right now, that that's. Uh, Congress is not necessarily functioning at its its peak, so uh, w w I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, hold your breath for anything that uh, is going to happen on the national level thus uh, thus far. But but hopefully we'll see some sort of as as all this stuff begins to uh, uh, settle down, we'll see some sort of norms that are sort of put into place, and and there'll be more of a, a situation where um, schools can can begin to to find uh, a sense of normalcy, and then the student athletes can be able to. Uh, know their limits and, and be able also to make some money off of it. Sounds good. They meant a, a whole lot of info uh, right there. As I said, there were so many questions, a lot of murkiness that goes on with, with both these uh, topics that we discussed with conference expansion, uh, especially in the NIL side of it as well. Still more questions than answers <laughs> and through, through a month of, uh, uh, of what we're seeing with NIL. So thank, thank you for kind of weeding through uh, both of these topics and, and helping our listeners out there right before football season starts before the real stuff starts the two hot button summer topics uh one last look at those uh before the game of football starts so yeah, and, and hopefully, show, hopefully, man so thank you well i'll say is hopefully that uh that all this realignment all those aspects of things they'll calm down a little bit here over the next few months until until next off season and everybody yeah. can enjoy some football and it's going to be an exciting season and, and looking forward to it and i'll be I'll be cheering on the Gators in the swamp uh, most of the games this year. So looking looking forward to being there in, in person again and and uh, and enjoying the, what makes uh, this sport so um, special in, in college football, which is the pageantry and the tradition that goes along with it. That's really unrivaled in in American sports, and and is a reason to to keep all of this um, and to the benefit of both our student athletes and to some of our great universities. So. Uh, yeah, I was happy to be here. Love the show, and uh, we'll we'll be watching throughout the season. Sounds good, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for uh, uh, being being a loyal listener and and, and agreeing to hop on here uh, on Gators Breakdown. That's Dave Chauncey, education, labor, employment lawyer for Alexander Degance Barnett Legal, right here in Jacksonville. Dave, man, thank you so much. Thank you.
I'm David Waters, host of Gators Breakdown. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.